In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christ is in our midst. He is never shot. I have a couple of quotes that I'd like to share with you that I came across this week. And they gave me the food for thought as I approached today's gospel reading. The first one is a well-known one from St. Paisios of the Holy Mountain. He said, what I see around me would drive me insane if I did not know that no matter what happens, God will have the last word. This is a good saying for us to keep in our minds as we look around us at the world and we think about how insane so many things seem. And yet, no matter what happens, God will have the last word. God is in control. The second one I wanted to share with you was when I came upon. It's from St. Sophronia of Essex. We shall see that the most painful periods in our life were the most fruitful and will accompany us beyond the confines of this grave, of this world, to be the foundation of the kingdom which cannot be moved. As we read the gospel, not just today's gospel, but all of the gospel, we see that throughout the stories we read, Jesus, little by little, is revealing himself to be God, and he's revealing himself to the apostles and to us. Not only is he God, but he loves us. In today's gospel, this occurs just after Jesus was informed of the murder of St. John the Baptist. And when he, was, when he found this out, he immediately sought out a place that was quiet. Obviously, he wanted to talk with his father. He wanted to pray. But as they, in a boat, sought to go to a quiet place, the crowds saw them and ran on foot and met them there. And he got out, and it says he had compassion on them. He loved them and he healed their sick. And all day long, he healed their sick. And then at the end of the day, Jesus realizes that they're all hungry and there's no place to get food because they've all run to this solitary place where Christ was going, intending to have a little quiet time. Instead, he he feeds them all. He feeds 5,000 people with a few pieces of bread, some fish. Now imagine him physically having to break enough food and distribute to his apostles. He's had an arduous day. All the while he was seeking to be with his father, though he is never without his father. He wanted some quiet. So he dismisses the crowds, as it says, and he sends the apostles across. It says he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. Now imagine the disciples. They're not really happy about this plan. 
Very few times in the Gospels do we see that Christ is separated from his disciples. This is not where they want to be. They are following him. They have left everything. So they get into the boat and they begin to cross over to the other side. They might remember a previous boat trip where the winds and the waves and the storm came up and Jesus was asleep in the bottom of the boat and they were fearing for their lives even though Christ was with them. That was earlier. This time, the same thing happens again. The wind comes up, the waves come up, and the winds are against them. And this time, Christ is not with them. It amazes me that it says in the fourth watch of the night, so they essentially have been rowing all night long. Now, I, it must have been a moonlit night because there weren't street lights and there weren't, well, it was in the middle of a pretty big lake. Can you imagine in near darkness, or maybe complete darkness, they are rowing as hard as they possibly can, straining at the oars against the wind, and, they're, and they seem to be making no progress. And why are they doing this? Because Jesus told them to. And they have dedicated themselves to be completely obedient to their Lord. We could take a lesson. I think I would have said, this is not working. Let's go back and get Jesus. <laughs> Maybe, you know, he, I mean, he, he can do something about this wind. We've seen him do that. But no, they carry on in, in obedience to their Lord. Now, who is this person who now comes out to them walking on the waves? In front of the disciples, he did this amazing thing. He fed 5,000 people. Who could do this but God himself? Who could take essentially nothing and create enough food for 5,000 people from nothing? Except he who created everything from nothing. The creator of the world. And now again he reveals himself to be God by walking on the water. Who could walk on water besides the one who created it and ordered the universe. Now it is interesting to me that when they see him, they are terrified. They're already pretty vexed because of the storm and the wind against them. And they somehow look up and see Christ. Either he's illuminated by the moonlight or he is shining with his own uncreated light. And he comes to them, and they are terrified because they can't make him out in the storm and the waves, and they think it's a ghost. And Jesus calls out to them, and they know it's him. He says, take heart. It is I. Have no fear. But it's interesting to me that he says this before he calms the storm. Take heart in the middle of the storm. I am with you in the middle of the storm. The wind is against you. Have no fear. And it occurred to me that this really is us. That is, we are like the disciples in the boat. We are rowing and we are straining as hard as we can against wind. And the wind seems to be against us. It seems to be a crazy wind out there that seems to be against us. 
And we are focused on our job. We're focused on our obedience. We're trying to be good Christians and work out our salvation. And life continues to throw at us more and more and more things. And while we get reprieves now and then by God's grace, the world is constantly asking us to do more. And we strain and we have anxieties and we have worries and all of our struggles. But Christ says to his disciples in the midst of their struggles, take heart. It is me. I am with you. Don't have any fear. And so in the midst of our struggles, we cry out to God. But we find that most of the time, he doesn't take away our struggles. He doesn't dissolve our anxieties. He doesn't necessarily take away our fears. But in the midst of them, he reminds us over and over again, I am with you. It is me. Take heart. Don't be afraid. I am with you. And in the midst of our struggles, we're doing the best we can. And we often get our minds so focused on what we have to do in front of us that those things inflate and they become large, and they tend to fill our whole view, and it, they, they, sem they seem to fill our whole world, our whole lives, and this is what we think, this is our life, this is the whole thing, and we get so focused on these struggles, and rightly so, because we have to struggle through them, but we forget some things, we forget that our Lord is God, and we forget how much he absolutely love, loves us. And he wants us to be at peace. And this is what he says to us. Take heart. Be at peace. I'm sure you can remember thinking. You could probably think now of three or four things that are weighing you down. And think how often in the midst of those you forget God. You forget that he loves you, and you forget that he is with you in the midst of these struggles. And these struggles seem to take on an immense proportion. Because there is something else that we forget. I once asked Argoyans, kind of randomly, how long do you think you're going to live? And they all go, well, I don't know, 70, 80 years. Some said 100. And they were you know, very, pretty optimistic about the future of medical care. <laughs> and we might answer in the same way. But the other thing that we've forgotten is that we're going to live forever. We measure our lifespan in eternity. And when we forget this in our day-to-day -day life, these things, and I won't call them small, but these struggles that we have in this life, having forgotten eternity, have become proportionally so large. And yet, when we try to put eternity in our minds, we can step back and take a bigger picture, and we can see our struggles for what they are. They are means to trust God. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that we should, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We were created for eternity. We were created and given eternal life. And all that happens, all our struggles, all of our suffering, all that weighs us down, they seem so big and fill our lives. But they were given to us to work out our salvation, to learn to trust God, and to see and allow him to reveal himself as one who loves us. We must remember eternity. John the beloved disciple, the evangelist says in his first epistle, beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And St. Paul says in Colossians, set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. How can we keep our minds in eternity? How can we fathom eternity? In the midst of all of our struggles, in the midst of our rowing with all our might against the winds that seem against us, how can we remember eternal life? And when does eternal life start? Now. Yet not so obviously. It's in a hidden way. Our eternal life is hidden with Christ in God. So, if in the midst of all of our struggles, all of our cares, all of our anxieties, we can step back and remember two things. One, that our Lord is God, and he is creator of the universe, and that he loves us more than we can imagine. If we can remember that, we can take comfort, we can take heart in the midst of our struggles. And the second thing is to remember eternity. We are going to live with Christ in glory forever. And we have no idea what that's going to be like. We don't have a way to comprehend that. St. Paul did. He was taken up to heaven. And he begins to write about it. And he talks about it. And he says, as if he's going to say more about it. And then he says, mm, and then we'll all be with the Lord forever. So we don't get to know very much. St. Paul, in his second letter to the Corinthians, recounts all of the struggles of his life, all of the things of his stonings, his imprisonment, his beatings, his, his uh, exile, all the different things, shipwreck, his near-death experiences. And he says then to them, therefore, considering all these things, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, yet our inner self is being renewed day by day. 
For our light and momentary affliction is producing for us an eternal glory that is far beyond comparison. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what, on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. He says, for our light and momentary affliction is producing for us an eternal glory that is beyond comparison. Now, our afflictions do not feel light or momentary. We want them to go away, and they cling to our lives. But he's speaking of his own. And that when we have in our minds the immeasurable love of God, and when we have in our minds the reality of eternity, then we can be renewed day by day in the knowledge and in the perspective that the things that we are experiencing now are light and momentary compared to the riches of his glory in eternity. And it is these very things for our light and momentary affliction is producing for us an eternal glory that is far beyond compare. So as we work out our salvation, as we take heart in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our challenges, our afflictions, in everything that weighs us down, we remember Christ and his love and, and that we are destined for eternity and that these very things that we are struggling with are the things that are going to, as St. Sophroni said, they will form the foundation of the kingdom, the kingdom which we will dwell in which cannot be moved. Amen.